0: Hey, it's Lynn Galadner, and this is the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm founder of the Your People Marketing and PR Agency, and I lead the Make Meaning Movement, a platform that helps purpose-driven visionaries and leaders do business with meaning. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how people dare to take chances to live the life they want with meaningful work and purposeful days. There are many ways to fill your life with meaning. Join us at makemeaning.org to learn more. Now, on to the show. Hi, it's Lynn Galadner, and I'm really excited for this episode of the Make Meaning podcast. This week, I speak with Helen Taylor, the Michigan State Director of the Nature Conservancy, a global organization that seeks to protect the natural world in ways large and small. I also speak with Gina Nicholas, who has partnered with Helen and the Conservancy in her efforts to protect the Keweenaw Peninsula, a gorgeous slip of land jutting out into Lake Superior at the northern tip of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. If you haven't had the joy of visiting the UP, as we call it, you're really missing out. The Keweenaw is one of the most spectacular and pristine pieces of nature that I've ever seen. Gina had a successful business career traveling all over the world with her two-year-old in tow when she realized that the most important work she could do would be to preserve the beautiful land where she grew up. So she quit and headed home to the Keweenaw and has spent the past several decades doing everything in her power to protect the natural lands and recover those devastated by mining. On this episode, Helen, Gina, and I talk about what we all can do in our daily lives to protect our natural world. We discuss how to connect to the environment in your work. We talk about how each of these inspiring women found their purpose and pour their personal meaning into their work, their daily lives, and their relationships. Oh, and the chirps you'll hear in the background are from Gina's male lovebird, Fernandina, who is named after one of the Galapagos Islands. So settle in and get ready to hear an uplifting and motivating story about two women who devote their days to making sure that the beauty all around us remains for generations to come. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast. Gina Nicholas and Helen Taylor, welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Thank you yeah i'm so thrilled to have you guys here i want to begin by setting the stage for our conversation it you know we're going to cover a lot of issues and different experiences that you both have and projects that you're passionate about Uh, but i think i want to look a little more globally just to set the stage and so you know it seems like environmental conservation is of the utmost concern to so many people these days which is wonderful and more and more people are learning about alarming information predictions about climate change and other ways that our you know, natural world can be threatened or changed. But everyday folks who may not be as connected to nature or aware of the beauty of the natural world may be scared by what they're hearing. And so I know that you both have devoted your lives to conservation. And I'd love to hear how you first got into this work and what you love about it. So um, maybe Helen, well, let's hear from you first. And then Gina, you can jump in after. Sure. I, I got
1: into this work because I could not, I cannot think of Anything more foundational, more fundamental than conservation, because it really everything in our lives depends on our natural resources. The future depends on it, and and so you know our, our culture, our health, our economy, everything depends on it. So that made it uh, the the most important thing that I could think of to contribute to the to the world. And then lastly, I would just say, especially in light of these times. I love the collaborative nature of it, the fact that it enables me to meet people like Gina, um, that we work with farmers and business and public agencies. Nature is a unifying topic. It, it brings people together. It brings people across the aisle together, and it provides this common ground that we so very much need because it's in everybody's interest, and and we all want the same thing. We want quality of life and a healthy world for future generations, so that is that is why I love it. That is why I
0: devoted so much of my life to it. Yeah. Thank you, Helen. Gina, how about you? Well,
2: you know, I have to say, unlike Helen, I came to this maybe about 20 years ago. I had a career in business, and but I grew up in a conservation-oriented family. And maybe not conservation in the way of modern conservation, but people that cared about the world and the land and natural all living things and I can tell you kind of a funny story when we were kids picking berries up here. Um, you know some people and especially if you pick on a farm, you pick the the bush clean. But when you're out in mm-hmm. nature, my grandfather always said, make sure you leave some for the bears And so you know from mm-hmm. a very early age, I had this subtle conservation so, I have a long backstory, but eventually I realized that rather than being a business consultant and working toward the goals of corporations, I wanted to come home to the Keweenaw and raise my son in a place that I loved and I thought was the most formative part of my own life. So that's how I got back here. And then I just went to work doing what I care the most about, which is the land and the water and the Community of Kiwanau.
0: That's a really interesting point, Gina, that I just want to spend a minute on because in my work on meaning and purpose, I work with a lot of people who want to shift from maybe a career choice they made when they were younger or work that they've been doing that they may be doing really well, but it just doesn't speak to their soul. It's not, you know, where they they feel they need to be on the earth or how they can help the most or make the most impact. So, can you just tell me a little bit more about that? Because I'm really intrigued about how you made a career pivot based on the natural world. I'd love to hear more about that.
2: Well, it sort of ties into our American story. Um, When I was in business, I was working with large, like largely fortune 1100 corporations. And so I would go to wall street for some of my clients. And when I went to wall street, I used to stay at the Marriott world trade center and um, at the time of 9-11, I had a two-year-old, and I was flying around the country going to meetings and running projects, and I had this little baby going with me, and it just was a wake-up call. I realized that was a, you know, when the towers went down, I'm calling, uh, the, my clients are okay, and I, I thought, wow, you know, Life is too short, and I wouldn't want to. Um, I wouldn't want to waste it just because I want to focus. I want to be focusing on what I care the most about, which is my son, my family, and the land, and and making the world a better place for all species, not just humans. But humans are part of nature, and kind of to your first point, the more we understand that we're part of it, and not dominating it, I think the healthier our whole world and society will be.
0: Hmm. I love that. And you really just answered my second question. So thank you. (laughs) You beat me to it. Um, But what I was going to ask is, you know, we focus on this show about how people find meaning and purpose in life and work. So that's a perfect answer. And I, I really appreciate it, Gina. And Helen, I'd love to hear from you about how you discovered your personal meaning, and then used that realization to inform your work? Was there like a pivotal experience early in life or um, something, you know, a person who inspired you in this direction? What was sort of that, that that inspiration for you?
1: I think it's my path through various jobs that led me here. I, I started out in the arts and then I, I, I've i had a kind of a, an eccentric sort of um, path here following that was social services. And I was working in Chicago with kids in the inner city and realized just a block away, they had never been to the beach, their access to nature was really restricted. And and then I began to realize, I mean, I think for me, it was the realization that the most important thing I, I could focus on is making sure that those resources are there for future generations. And so um I you know, I, I grew up in Indiana and it was a southern part of the state where there, there just wasn't as many rivers and water. And when I saw the Great Lakes, I think seeing the Great Lakes was the thing that made me just stay in the in the region um, for decades mm-hmm. since. I, I think another thing is it's just I think this is my nature, but it's just it's trying to help people uh, connect Mm -hmm. I find that so often people think, and and unfortunately in the environmental field, a lot of people think that it's either, uh, you know, there's tree huggers or people that are saying no, when in fact, it's one thing that, especially in Michigan, we can all agree on, we just love our lands and waters. And Mm -hmm. too often it's a polarized conversation that is if it's a win-loss, when in fact, there's, uh, it's about balance and it can be a win-win and trying to find those solutions that enable people to solve these problems while protecting our our future and our resources, as well as our livelihoods, there's there's a way to do that if we all can hear each other and not begin with where we're in conflict, but actually find out that this is very much a a common ground area.
0: I I agree with that completely, because when you start from a place of shared value or Um, shared belief, you know, that you can build. But if it's, you know, here's where I differ from you, it's an argument right from the outset. So um, that's really wise to just come in and say, well, where would industry and, you know, conservationists have common ground and how can we further that conversation and deepen it for everybody's benefit? You know, I love that. And I, and so thank you both for sharing with me your personal journeys. Um, I'd like to talk specifically about the work that you do. And I thought maybe we could Look big picture, Michigan. um, Learn a little bit about the Nature Conservancy, and then dial it into the Keweenaw Peninsula. Um, For our listeners who haven't had the joy of visiting our upper peninsula, I'd like them to hear about that, and then what you're trying to do. So, Helen, can you begin by just telling us a little bit about the Nature Conservancy and its goals in Michigan?
1: Sure. So many people don't realize we're we're a global organization. So we have four thousand staff around the world in seventy countries, and staff like me in a place working on the mission, which is to protect the lands and waters on which all life depends, which is a pretty you know, high level statement. What it translates into over the last 70 years is really working all the way from the science and data gathering to tool development, to inform decision-making, to working with those that use natural resources. So with farmers, with foresters, with businesses, all the way up to informing policy. How that lands in Michigan, uh, as a Great Lakes state surrounded by Great Lakes, we are primarily focused, and at the highest level, we're working on healthy oceans, freshwater, and lands, and climate change is a very significant priority for the organization. In Michigan and the Great Lakes, that really means you need to be looking at healthy waters, resilient forests, thriving coasts, and climate action. So it's really our water, our forest, and our coastline, and and climate change. And so that ranges from working on sustainable fisheries to soil health with farmers and water quality and nutrient loadings. We work on urban issues like green infrastructure in Detroit. And then when it comes to climate change, it's not just about policy, but it's it's actually helping nature adapt to climate change because we can see what's coming and and having more sustainably managed forests so that they can they can be resilient and adapt to the changing world around them is 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 critical. And then there are natural climate solutions, which is our we're really lucky in Michigan to have so much forest. So these forests are soaking down and, and sinking carbon and it's a really important part of the solution going forward. So that gives you kind of an array of lands where we where we protected them and we're experimenting on up to how does that inform how we manage natural resources in this country and around the world.
0: So it sounds like you're doing policy advocacy, you're doing programming. I know that you write about different issues that the consumer public could really learn about or take action on. Is there anything I'm missing on what the Conservancy does?
1: Yeah, I think it's the the tangible side. So we've protected now to date in Michigan is um, around the world over 120 million acres, but in Michigan, we're about at 390,000 acres. We mm. Many of those are now local parks. They belong to other land trusts. Some of them are state parks. We currently own 56,000 acres. And on those lands, aside from being really important during COVID, because our, our visitation of our preserves around the state are, is is really rocketed, um, we're mm-hmm. Using some of these lands to better understand how to manage forests for sustainable forestry purposes, to understanding how that links to water quality. Um, so it's that, I think the thing that's missing in that list is the actual applied hands-on work in the field, boots in the water, boots on the ground, working on lands with people that that manage lands and and. and and learning from our own experiences of the lands we own.
0: Mm, okay, thank you. Yeah, so then let's get a little specific about the Keweenaw Peninsula, and I'll tell you, um, I just fell in love. You know, I, I I have spent my whole life in Michigan. I've lived elsewhere, but I came back. And um, we always went, you know, quote unquote, up north from Detroit, which was the top of the lower peninsula. And um, as a kid, I never crossed the bridge. I never got into the upper peninsula. And so um, we have four teenagers. And a number of years ago, when they weren't teenagers, we packed everybody in the minivan and we headed up there. And it was probably one of my best weeks of life. It was just so incredible but the Keweenaw was the highlight. I mean, I just felt like, okay, I'm never leaving. I'm just going to stay. And I have some photography from there that is on the walls in our house. And it just feels like such a special place. So Gina, I wonder if you could tell our listeners a little bit who haven't had the joy of visiting our upper peninsula, you know, tell us about the Keweenaw, tell us about your mission there and what you're doing.
2: Okay. Thanks, Lynn. And I'm glad for your endorsement that Keweenaw is the best place (laughs) in the whole world, because I agree with you. So it sort of starts with something you'll you'll laugh, but it starts with the fact that Lake Superior and our region is unique in the whole Great Lakes system. And it's the result of billion plus year geologic events that were Mm -hmm. massive lava flows and massive rift faulting. And it's the It's the dome of the mid-continental rift, but what formed Keweenaw, the Keweenaw Peninsula and its sister Isle Royal was actually what, you know, the Keweenaw faulting and and a series of geologic volcanic events. So if you think about it, all that beautiful country and scenery was all created by volcanoes and lava flows and layers upon layers and then faulting. And so we have this really special thing that geology created Lake Superior, which is the deepest, largest, you know, coldest of the Great Lakes. And mm-hmm. it's different than the other Great Lakes that are kind of based on a limestone geology. And it created the uh, the, the rugged peninsulas. And those peninsulas and the reason humans have populated the area to begin with and why we know what we know is because heavy metals were deposited and in particular copper and copper was mm-hmm. deposited close to the surface so all the way back mm-hmm. to the ancient native americans and then the nishnabe the ojibwa people through to the colonists and the american settlers copper was the draw and we were shaped mm-hmm. based on an extraction mentality extracting metal and then later extracting mm-hmm. timber and now mm-hmm. what we have is our our peninsula recovering from, you know, the human extraction mode. And as we move into our modern world, we're seeing that our value is in this unique geologic peninsula and unique, Lake superior giant water body that is, has all these habitats and is critical, not only to our native species that live there, but also Mm -hmm. it's the, corridor for so many migratory species that are going north to the boreal forests of Canada and then south all the way to somewhere in Peru or Ecuador or maybe even further south so we're we're important for many many reasons and we also have and Helena can probably speak to this better than I can we have a a, a great diversity of natural habitats Uh, rare plants and animals and things that, and then migratory species that are also rare and precious that need the Keweenaw Peninsula being there out and jutting out into Lake Superior. So that's like Mm -hmm. why I I love it. And in addition to why it's beautiful, but what I've been working on for the last, I don't know, I started in the late eighties, I've been trying to conserve land. So buying Mm -hmm. land, protecting land, and looking at land from the the perspective of you know true wilderness conservancy land and parkland managed forestry land as helen mentioned if you do it right you really can create a valuable asset and then recreation land and our our community is coming around to realize that our common enemy is fragmentation and development, and our common goal is to keep this beautiful peninsula that's recovering now from the the copper boom, in as natural and open a state as possible, and for to be able to share it with the public in a in a responsible manner, and in a way that that uh, supports many people's interests and also supports all the species, the native species and the migratory species that depend on it, and then you know. Water quality is always important for everything, people and all species. And we have wetlands and we have features that improve the quality of the Great Lakes, too. So that's probably enough.
0: It's great. No, it's wonderful. And I want to actually stop and focus a little bit on, you know, this extraction mentality that that did, you know, sort of prevail for such a long time. I know that was, you know, an early settler um perspective that was rampant not only in Michigan but you know everywhere and we sort of you know humans had this whole perspective of what can i get what can i take out um because there were such abundant resources everywhere and now we're seeing the depletion the um the devastation that can come from you know continued excavation and and sort of leaving a shell of of a natural land so i wonder if If both of you could speak to that a little bit, you know, like that was definitely a phase of human, um, I guess industry, or I don't want to say progress, but just sort of human existence. But, you know, what do we do now in the aftermath? You mentioned the word recovery, Gina, and I just wonder, um, is it a shift in perspective? Is it a shift in action? Do we, do we need to be creating, you know, new means of, um, existence and career to replace those like you know and for some for some mining industries this is moot it's already history but but we still have the the ruins we still have you know what was done to the land so i wonder if you both might have some insights on on this issue
2: i can comment on that because the legacy of copper mining is very dramatic still here in Keweenaw. So while you can see beautiful, you know, natural scenery, you can also see the stamp sand and the waste products of copper mining. And those waste piles can be more than 100 years old, hundred mm. uh, up to around 150 years old from the, the very beginning. And mm. I have worked on several projects where the stamp sand in watersheds in, for example, the Eagle River had killed off the the macroinvertebrates. And it was a cold water trout stream. It killed off the native fish populations in in most of the main branches of the Eagle River. And it takes a lot of money and a lot of engineering and a lot of construction to figure out solutions to to remove that that, uh, contaminated stamp sand. So that's a very Uh, It's from the very old mines, and it's mostly just a metal contamination, and Mm -hmm. it's relatively simple to address, even though it's costly and time-consuming. But then we have, as the mining industry progressed and became more sophisticated and used chemicals and used other like plastic components, and we have sites that are not only contaminated with the metals, but they're contaminated with all kinds of plastic and just too many things that are very hard to remove. And basically, you know, just south of Keweenaw County, on the Keweenaw is Torch Lake, which is basically a dead lake that had mm. once been like a, a major Native American fishing lake. It was called Torch Lake because they fished with, with torches at night.
1: Hmm.
2: And hmm. it's a it's got a dead bottom now. It's an AOC site. Um the shoreline was formerly a super fun site. So we have that. And I think that, you know, we're doing a couple good things. One thing we're doing is we're looking at how can we fix these these destructive acts that happened a hundred years ago? How can we Mm -hmm. find resources to do that? How can we return the native um, species and improve the water quality and remove the toxic chemicals? But then we're also, I think, as a society, and I hope, and as a society, realizing that the future doesn't have to be about more stuff. It can be about sharing experience with other people. And I think mm-hmm. if you look at, like, I guess, you know, you've probably traveled in other countries, but if you look at what some other countries are doing in South America, for example, and Central America mm-hmm. and Europe, instead of exploiting their resources for extraction, They're trying to create like a very robust uh, ecotourism industry and scientific research industry where they study and share rather than extract. And, And I would like to see us in the United States embrace that, to have college degrees for people, professional degrees where being a guide is considered a valuable profession. And so anyway.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Helen, do you have any thoughts about this?
1: Yeah, I think um, a number of things. There's, I think we have to recognize over the decades the evolution of awareness and change that's happened where there's, uh, in the, there was a lot that was not known, but now with Superfund Law, et cetera, there's a lot more collaboration and based in science. Science can provide a, a, a much clearer pathway for balance. These resources, as Gina knows, there's in the UP, there's about 300,000 people in population and and jobs are dependent on either the forest industry or what would be uh, recreational um, service related industries. And so finding that balance where people can have those experiences Yet these resources are needed. Science can actually help us get it right. And we didn't have that all the time, but we have it now. And I think the Keweenaw Peninsula is a terrific example of where they realize their, their ecotourism is probably one of their greatest assets. So when you point out that part of the state to people, they know it's the place where the best mountain biking is, where incredible skiing is, incredible outdoor experiences. And I... So I think we but we have to have an open conversation. And I think it isn't about telling people that they can't have a lifestyle that they were used to, that there's a way to balance that. Uh, Because I think sometimes there is this belief that it's at odds, environmentalism with the forest industry. And we really, uh, you know, you can bring that together in a very collaborative, meaningful way going forward.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I it's interesting, you know, we're still going through the the coronavirus pandemic and that's changed so much in our world and I one of the things that really struck me early on were stories of how nature healed itself in certain areas of the world when people were absent for A few weeks. And it was just amazing how, you know, waters cleared or smog lifted or whatever it was. And it, it, what it said to me was that the natural world knows how to take care of itself if we'll just leave it alone a little bit. And I hope that there are some lessons that will come out of this time that help us to connect more with the natural world i know as you said that um you know recreational activity in parks and natural lands is really up during the pandemic and i'm so thrilled because you know i've always been the kind of parent who would go hiking with my kids but a lot of people didn't and there's been nothing else but nature to turn to in a safe way over the past year and so, I I do hope that these are some of the good things that might come out of this time. I don't know if you've had any thoughts about this. Very um, much so.
1: <laughs> Go ahead, Helen. <laughs> well, I think we're we're seeing, and I'm not sure why people didn't take hikes before, even around my neighborhood. All these neighbors I've never seen before out on the street. They could have been doing that already, but uh, so yeah. I just hope it continues. Um, yeah. And I, I, I know that we are seeing extraordinary visitation to our preserves around the state, so much so that we're realizing we probably need to do more to educate them on those hikes. And so we're planning on more signage to use the opportunity to educate. We also are developing, it's through, when you're walking, it's like being in a museum. When you get to a certain spot, the GPS will actually trigger, you can take an audio tour which also can work for people who are too old to visit these places anymore. So we're trying to make this accessible in all kinds of new ways for people, whether they're there in person or a, a child in a classroom inside Detroit um, in, in a school or something. So I, I think there's a growing realization of the importance of nature and people's health. I hope that continues you know, too.
0: You know, also, it's really interesting because a lot of schools have – Um, really pivoted to respond to the conditions. You know, I know some schools, smaller schools that have built outdoor classrooms so that they continue, they could continue to meet in person during this time. And that has changed, you know, families' perspectives and, and what is education. And there already was the outdoor education movement, but these are schools that weren't in that movement that said, there's a way to do this that can be safe and that nature can be our classroom too. And so I love seeing that as well because then you know we're breathing in the natural air all day long and and we're learning what is all around us. So um, there could be a lot that comes out of this, definitely. So you know, I I know that um, there are some other projects that I would love to chat about. One in particular that I wanted to mention, Helen, which really goes off of what Gina was talking about in terms of recovering damaged natural lands. And so one that um, I read about that the Conservancy um, worked on was the former General General Motors site in Saginaw. That has become a 334-acre natural area, the Saginaw River Headwaters area. And I read an article that you wrote where you said, and I quote, the fact that it could become a natural area on a riverfront and provide access for people for nature and potentially help downtown Saginaw Revitalize an abandoned property. It doesn't get better than that. So I wonder if you could just take a couple minutes to tell us about that project and how you took a former industrial site and made it this immense natural area that has so many new purposes for um, the residents and the community.
1: Sure, it's it's truly one of my favorite projects, and and I think there's opportunities like this around the state, around the region, where many cities put their factories and things right on the riverfronts, and now that is becoming the most important thing to reclaim for people to have quality of life, to attract talent to communities, et cetera. So this um, this is probably the case, in, it is the case in many communities. In this situation. Uh, with a community that no longer had a parks department. The city of Saginaw does not have a parks department anymore because of financial constraints and challenges for that community in that town. So there was a county parks department who's played a really important role in this. But at the end of the day, we saw all these pieces there lying on the table. It's, you know, here's a, a contaminated site and a desire to do something good with it. There is uh, you know, a low-income community next door who has no access to to nature in any meaningful way, and we saw all this potential, but there was no glue. And and truly, they had all the parts; they had people that were interested, but it it really just required um, enthusiasm, persistence, and relentless, you know, grant writing and connecting the dots to for people to find each other and. And that's really what the Nature Conservancy did in this process, because we don't have staff on the ground in that community, but they had all that was needed. And sometimes you just need a a spark plug to make it come together. Gina, I think that's a big part of what you do in the Kiwana. You need um, an entity that continues because this took eight years to come to Mm. fruition because you just there's a lot of bureaucracy and snafus related to rules and laws and regulations and cleanup and ownership and grant writing. And um, I'm just really excited and the community's excited and the county's gonna take care of it. We actually uh, secured a million dollars to go into an endowment that will spin off interest so that the park will always have the means to take care of itself. Uh, That was thanks Mm -hmm. in great part because Dow made um, that as one of its projects Um, to commit to as part of the settlement. So there's just many, many heroes in this. And sometimes all you need is glue and persistence.
0: You know, I like that. And I think, Gina, this will probably go to you. Um, You know, Helen, I know you had written an article about the intersection of business and nature. And so I wonder if you could talk about, um, both of you, how nature becomes a driver of economic activity and how businesses are taking up the mantle of responsibility to protect nature. So you just mentioned Helen Dow as an example, committing to that. Um, Gina, what have you seen? You were talking about, you know, buying up land um, to preserve it. You know, in the Keweenaw, what are you seeing as that intersection of business and nature or how nature drives economic activity?
2: So I think Helen mentioned it earlier, and it's very true. Our economy, especially in Keweenaw County, is based on tourism and outdoor recreation. And so (laughs) one of the things that we realized as a community, I think people... You know, start with whatever their personal or small group passion is. And then gradually you start networking and you realize that you all share something. And so, what we did last late 2019, we organized a group. Uh, it's a coalition that's called Kiwana Outdoor Recreation Coalition. And it's got the conservancies. It's got uh, local businesses. It's got the motorized, like the ATV club and the snowmobile club and the Copper Harbor Trails Club, mountain bike club. It has units of government, townships. Anybody who wanted to join, we just all started working together. And what we're trying to do is help promote keeping our Keweenaw contiguous, open to the public and available for all forms of of recreation and conservation. So everything from wilderness to managed forest and everything in between. Um, Having dedicated trail systems, having trail systems that don't conflict with other uses, having places where hunters can go and places where you you can fish without trespassing. And we're just one year into it right now, and basically we've done some projects. We've worked with the state of Michigan on their Keweenaw tip land that the Nature Conservancy helped the state get many years ago, and it was getting overrun with people. There was a trash problem, a toilet problem, um, Cork, Keweenaw Outdoor Recreation Coalition, went to the state and said, let's partner together. We'll get and trash receptacles out at High Rock Bay and we'll maintain them for you. And so that went through. We helped Keweenaw County with the match for their county, Gratiot River Park, and they've put toilets and trash receptacles and improved access for handicapped people. But we're doing projects together. Oh, we had requests for um, a group that liked to camp out on the state land near Schlatter Lake. The road was a Mm -hmm. mess and they couldn't drive their trucks in to go camping. So Cork took care of the road. So it's sort of a volunteer organization. We work with um, donor and grant funds and we have a lot of volunteer man hour, man person power hours, and we just get things done to improve the outdoor recreation experience in Keweenaw and to conserve land and to keep it contiguous. And there's a bunch of new things in the hopper, including easements and more trails and helping the state acquire inholdings. And I don't know, that's to me an example of working together to realize the best for everybody um, and and really being good stewards of your land base here at home and our my home is Kiwena.
0: I love it. Yeah, that's just a lot of, you know, energy and activity coming together for the betterment of all and I think that's a great example. So thank you Gina. I appreciate that. Um you know, as we wind down, there's two last questions that I want to ask you both. The first one is kind of a big one, but I'm hoping we can offer some practical advice to our listeners because it can sometimes feel overwhelming to think about the state of the natural world. And, you know, I'm just one person, you're just one person. How do we find solutions to climate change and shifting landscapes? You know, could it be easier than we think? Is there something that everyday folks can do to make a difference? So, are there, you know, one or two pieces of advice that you might offer um, to our listeners? That they could take away from this and you know put into action in their lives to to help the environment.
1: I definitely have a few things I'd love to offer. One would be just thinking about energy efficiency and using less energy, which means you're you're lowering your emissions in your footprint. So I think that's a a key thing and doing just those things to your house that actually will save you money because you lose less heat, et cetera. So energy efficiency is a big one. And the utilities will come to your home and tell you all the things that you can do whether it's changing your light bulbs or where you can insulate better but that's something we can all do with our own homes and in our own living situations another one um and i think to me this is 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 vital is have conversations about it i think in recent years it's it's fine to say the words climate change years ago i you, it was a polarizing statement in some corners it still is it's not a it shouldn't be perceived as a political term. It should be actually a term that um, brings us together to solve some very challenging issues to the world. So trying to depolarize the terms and actually find ways to, everybody notices we're having more severe and more frequent storms. We're noticing the impacts of runoff and losing your topsoil on a farm. We all see the symptoms. And I think the more we can have conversations so that it's not it's not a polarizing issue, but it's something that brings us together is really important. And letting our elected officials know that we care about it because I think they are concerned um, about leaning on some issues when they think that their position is at risk because people have varying opinions. So if we can come together in our communities around these important issues and let our leaders know that we care about the impacts of things like climate change, Uh, Then we're all working together and rowing in the same direction. So I think that is, conversation is really important today.
0: That's awesome. Gina, what um, ideas do you have for listeners that they could put into action today? I
2: agree with everything Helen said. And I also think that everybody should realize that every little thing counts. So like if you can buy local produce instead of produce from California, I mean, assuming you live in Michigan, or if you can just be more careful with the number of plastic bags or paper bags you take home, or if you can, you know, just every little thing matters, everything you can recycle matters. And if you're just more conscious of how everything impacts our consumption of natural resources, and our consumption of energy, like I just found out that I had a bunch of old cables and old cell phones and iPads and so on and so forth. And I couldn't bear to throw it out. Well, I just found out you can go online with Apple and they'll tell you how to recycle everything. So I got rid of like 10 years worth of <laughs> bad electronics. It takes a little extra work, but you can do it. And all that helps because if they can recycle the parts of those cell phones, then they don't have to mine that much more of those you know, precious metals. And I think if we think holistically about everything we do without being obsessive about it, you know, just do the little bit every day, a little bit every week, and it all adds up. It's all better than not doing
1: anything. I, I think that. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention also just find organizations that are doing meaningful work in this space. It doesn't have to be ours. There's so many and we're, there's more than enough to do, but support the the nonprofit community that is working on this. And some people think I have so little to share. It's not meaningful. Every penny counts. So I'd be remiss in mm-hmm. not mentioning the philanthropy side of this for organizations doing this good work.
0: Yeah, and I will put in the show notes links to your websites and your efforts. And so um, anybody who's listening who wants to contribute um, to what you what you are doing, we will definitely make sure they know how to do it. Um, so my final question, you know, this this is a show about meaning and purpose, and we're really guiding people to discover what their meaning is and pour it into purposeful work. So I wonder if you have a piece of advice you might offer listeners about how they could incorporate the natural world into their personal meaning. What What would you say? Take a walk. I I think
1: the most important thing, people, and and I say this carefully because we have people in communities that don't feel safe to walk in, in nature. And that's something we have to address. And we have people in cities that don't have access to nature. So in whatever way you can connect, whether that's uh, taking a walk through a virtual experience, whether it is just noticing the plant through the cracks in the sidewalk and nurturing it, whether it's you're lucky enough to have a preserve that you feel safe to walk in. I just think um, people, when you connect with nature, we see how it lowers your blood pressure it takes you out of yourself it's a way of caring about something other than the uh, challenges that we face every day i think when we reconnect with nature we're a much healthier
0: society do you know what about you
2: well i i agree with what helen said and i think the other thing is that when you go when you are lucky enough to be able to go outside in safe places and somewhat natural places unplug like be there and don't be like on headphones be there in the present and and experience everything because you're going to feel things, you're going to see things, hear things, smell things. And I think one particular thing that a lot of people that resonates with a lot of people is birds. And I think that, you know, if you just start paying a little more attention, it's, it's, it's attractive and it's pleasing and it's um, sort of fulfilling to just learn about something a little bit and not, It always be you know on a schedule or on your computer or on something. Just be there and be watching with your your natural eyes and ears and your natural senses.
0: Wonderful. Well, Gina Nicholas and Helen Taylor, thank you so much for being on the Make Meaning podcast.
2: Thanks, Lynn. And can I add one last thing?
0: Yes, please. Take
2: a walk with a little child. And, and you mm-hmm. talk to a little child, that will really expand, you know, both
1: their and your appreciation of nature.
0: I agree. That's a good point. Thank you for adding that. And
1: thank you, Lynn. It was a privilege to be on your show.
0: Much appreciated. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Galodner. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you've heard here, join us over at makemeaning.org to discover how you can add more meaning to your life. And hey, if you like our conversations, please subscribe and share this episode with the meaningful people in your world.